following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. What amazes me is how selective we are on how we trust God. We love Him, He loves us, but how we trust Him or what we trust Him with, we're very selective. That was my story. I came to faith at a little bit later age in life, and I believed in the God of the Bible, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when someone said, are you ready to step over the line and to give him your life because he loves you, and this is where life begins, I didn't trust him with that. I wanted to respect God from a distance, maybe pray and ask for things from time to time, but I didn't want to step over a line and give God my life because I didn't trust that he had the best plan for me. That's honestly what I was thinking. I thought if I trusted God with my life, he might turn me into someone or something I didn't want to be. That was the biggest mistake I ever made, is waiting so long. Um, So there's this thing about trust. I finally got to the point where I realized, you know what? He says in his own word, he says, I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, they're to prosper you, give you a hope and a future. And when you start putting all the scripture together of God's plan for your life, I finally go, you know what, that's it. I am going to choose to trust him with the big picture. And then we get selective again, and we start to choose day to day what we're going to trust him with. And an issue came up for me as as a new believer. I started to trust him with my future, but there were some things about my present that I wasn't trusting him with. And I think you guys would agree, your relationship with God is an ongoing journey. We grow, we learn more, we understand more. Hopefully, we're beginning to learn how to trust more and more, just like in any relationship. The longer you know someone, the more you begin to love, you begin to trust. Same with the living God. I was not really trusting God with my present, but I was trusting God with the big picture. And 20 years ago, I was challenged on this topic of trust. And it's an area we're talking about today of the kingdom of God and one of the aspects of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is like this. He's the creator of the universe. He's the king of all kings. He is saying, I love everyone. I want to invite everyone into my kingdom. You can become a citizen of the kingdom, a child of God, through what Jesus did on the cross. It's a free gift. Can't earn it. Can't buy it. Don't deserve it. But you get it anyway. That's why it's called grace. It's free. And He offers this gift, and for the people who recognize who Jesus is and what he did and say, you know what, yeah, I messed up too like everybody else, and I want you to take my stuff away. I want to turn and follow you. I don't have it all down, but I do want to turn. I do want to follow you. That is where life begins. You become a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have eternity. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible says, and you can be assured on how the story ends for you. You can flip to the back of the book if you want to read how the story wraps up, and you'll go, wow, is that what it's going to be like? Yes, that's what it's going to be like for you. Beautiful. Now, what about in the meantime? What about the process in the meantime? This is where it gets a little interesting because sometimes we trust them in the day-to-day and sometimes we don't. I was challenged in this area specifically 20 years ago of being obedient to God in some of the things he sets forth in this area called tithing. Now, I want to say this about tithing. If you don't know what it means, you're going to learn today what it means. Some of you know what it means really well. Some of you, like, I totally get this. We don't talk about this all the time, but I do think it's a part of our growth as believers 
the way we love, the way we live, the way we serve, the way we walk. This is a tangible aspect of our love life with God. And we can't have a love life series leaving out a big component like this. So I would suggest to you that tithing, if you're a note taker today, very simply, if you learn one thing about tithing today in your love life with God, tithing is all about trust. And if you're a note taker, write that down because that is what was challenged to me 20 years ago. Uh, I had said, yes, I trust God with my future. And somebody presented to me uh, at the church I went to this reality of a step of obedience in the Bible. Would you trust God with your finances? And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a second. God takes care of the universe, but I take care of my job and my paycheck. Okay? These are different. Is what I was saying. Very selective about how I would trust God. God, you can keep the planets in rotation. You can hold back the storm. But I'm the one who puts the gas in the car. I'm the one who works and punches a time clock or does whatever. And this is the way we think sometimes. We get very selective. We pick our categories with God. But we're going to see in the Bible it doesn't really work that way. I was challenged with the question of trusting God more in this area. And the question that helped me, and by the way, 22 years ago, I decided to take that step of faith in this area. And it was weird at first. And so as I'm talking to some of you on this area, some of you say, yeah, yeah, I did that a long time ago too. I totally get it and I've moved on. Others are going, you did what? I don't know about that. Everyone's got this struggle, this little quandary sometimes with this topic. And I would say the reason we do is simply because of trust. We either trust him or we don't trust him at his word. Uh, Tithing is all about trust. And the question that really helped me, it really helped me come to terms with this, was this. And maybe it'll help you because it's like a paradigm shift. It changes your whole view of, of life. This simple question, if you're struggling with this concept or trying to get your head around it, your heart around it, you might ask this, whose is it anyway? Whose is it anyway? Because I used to struggle with this and said, well, my stuff belongs to me. I got my stuff, God, you got the rest. And this is the way we go through life. I worked for that, no one gave it to me, and I earned that, and I built that, or whatever. And we say, that's your stuff, this is my stuff. But as I began to walk in greater faith in my love life with the living God, as I began to read his word, I realized, ironically, it's all his. And we're going to look at some scriptures about this, but when you really understand this, if you really come to terms with whose it is anyway, it does change everything. I think some people stop right there with trust. They say, no, it belongs to me. It is mine, mine, mine. Mind. And therefore, they can't trust. But when you realize it belongs to him, it just paves the way going, God, it's all yours anyway. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. Psalm 24.1, and you have some of these scriptures in your bulletin, says, the earth belongs to God. Everything in all the world is his. Everything is his. Everything is his. There's no other way to slice that. We get selective again and say, that belongs to you, this belongs to me. But the Bible says the earth belongs to God and everything in the world is his. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.17, these are some scriptures to help set this up a little bit. It says this, and a lot of people say this. They say, well, I earned my stuff with my gift and my job and my idea, and so therefore it is mine. Deuteronomy 8.17, God's been hearing that story for a long time because the nature of people hasn't changed. And these were believers. These were the Israelites. They believed in God, but they started to go, yeah, well, it's mine. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 8, 17. 
You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's the living God who gives us the capacity. He gives us the gifts, the talents, the resources, all the above. So when you ask yourself, whose is it anyway? I hope my prayer is that we would at least all agree, really, it is all the Lord's. That's important, to know that it really is all the Lord's and that he's the source of all blessing and he does entrust us with things for a season. Jesus talks about a parable of stewardship where we're all given different levels, whether it's this much money, this much talent, this much gifting. We all have it for a season. And at the end, just like reconciling a checking account, at the end, we're going to reconcile what we did with everything he gave us. And like a kid and like the Israelites did, we start to say, it's mine. It's mine. And that's the mistake. It's really all his. And when we begin to look at it that way, it does begin to change our paradigm. If it all belongs to him, how do we approach it? So hopefully this is not a topic of burden. This is a topic of liberation because what we're going to see is if you have a biblical approach to what this says right here. And in fact, this is a message that I would prefer to swap pulpits with somebody. I would prefer to go to someone else's church who doesn't even know me and say, let me just drop the bomb. Can I do that? Can I just tell you the truth on a biblical, just to disconnect myself from the point here. But when people give to the kingdom of God, the way we're talking about here, there is a church can be a life-giving church. That's the point. We're supposed to do the work of the ministry, and we're going to see here the way God arranges it is when people give, a church can give life. We've been able to do some great things. We take care of a lot of orphans in Africa, in Kenya, uh, an orphanage in Mexico that we support every month. We've supported other mission trips, and we gift cards to single moms. There's been seasons we've been able to do some great things. There's been some seasons that we haven't been able to give so much life. In fact, this week, two incredibly honorable opportunities came up. The church was contacted for a great opportunity, one on a mission trip and one on a ministry that is really struggling. And I just said, man, we would love to, but right now we can't give life that way. I really wish we could. And this is the principle of what God is talking about, giving to the kingdom of God so that, so that the ministry can give life. God doesn't say to do this to buy Bentleys and jet planes and chandeliers. That is never the premise in the kingdom of God. But it is so that the people of God can give life. It is so the church can be a city on a hill for people that are seeking him and giving out life. Freely you've been given, freely give. Well, Proverbs 3.9 says this. It says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. This is what it says in there. And so the second point this morning is exactly that. The purpose of tithing is to teach us to always put God first in our lives. God is either first or he's not. But I'll tell you one thing about this level of trust. We can talk about the general picture of I love God and he's first. But if you want to know someone's love for the Lord really, you could probably look at their year-end statement or their checking account to see because Jesus said this. This is the words of Jesus, not me. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, this, is, this makes a lot of sense. If you love your family, you invest in your family. If you love your wife, you invest in your wife. If you love your, whatever you love, if you love your hobby, you invest in your hobby. This is just a, a statement of fact. This is our nature, what we do. If we love God first, there is an evidence of that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So 
it is true that the purpose of tithing is to teach us to always put God first. If we're really seeking God first in his kingdom, that is evident in the rest of our lives. But again, if you were like me early on, you would get selective and go, no, I love you and I trust you with everything, but no way am I going to do anything with my, with my money. This is a core part of our life. And I would say where our treasure is, our heart is also, because when we talk about the topic of money, there are some people that have a very healthy understanding of money. There are also other people that are very stuck with money, and they always are stuck with money. It doesn't seem to really change year after year. There might be a reprieve once in a while, but they're always stuck with money. Why are some people stuck with money in their situation, and why are some people free? I'll tell you why. The ones that have a sound biblical understanding of money from Scripture, they get it. They get whose it is. They get how to allocate it. They get what resourcefulness is. They get what stewardship is. They get what God's blessing is, quite simply. And there are others that go, no, this is mine and I can't and how can I afford or what can... And they're in a very stuck, limited view. And I just really think that when we understand what the living God says about it, there is a liberation in it. There is a blessing in it, not only for you, but for those who you get to give life to. And there's profound dimensions If we love God, then we give to his kingdom. Where our treasure is, our heart will be also. And the purpose, again, is to teach us to keep God first in our life. In fact, there's a bumper sticker. You guys have heard of the bumper sticker. Honk if you love Jesus. They got a better one out now. Tithe if you love Jesus, because anybody can honk. Anyone can hit the horn. If you love Jesus, tithe. Give to his kingdom. Well, here's the deal with the Israelites. This was so close to God's heart. The Israelites knew this theme. They knew they were supposed to give to the kingdom. They know it all belongs to the Lord. They know that they were going to give back. They knew this, but they said, why don't I just keep it all? Why don't I just hold on to it all? And they did this, and they kept doing this, and something was going on that they were receiving from the kingdom of God. They were receiving, but they weren't giving back to the kingdom of God. So they were like, kind of like this, if you get a visual. In a boat, and in any church, and in any ministry, there are some that have an oar in their hand, get the visual of this. You're in the boat with Jesus, right? We're all in the boat with Jesus. Can we get that visual for a minute? We're in the boat with Jesus, and like the apostles that were struggling at the oars, we're pulling an oar, and we're in the boat, and we're going with Jesus. And if you're in the boat with Jesus, and others are just sitting back, sipping a nice tea, in the boat while you're struggling at the oars, you'd say, wait, there's a little disconnect. Some are receiving from the kingdom of God, being in the boat with Jesus, and others are actually doing the work. Does that make sense? There's a little disparity. That is true in any ministry. There are some here that are very faithful and understand this premise and help to pay for the rents, everything, equipment, and everything else that's around. And that's, praise God, there's some who get this. And while I'm talking about it, they're like, this is cool, but I already already got it. I already know about this. This is like a non-issue to me. It's a no-brainer to me. I dealt with this 5, 10, 50, whatever. I get it. It's, It's... It's not any kind of revelation to you. There's others that are going, yeah, I wondered about that, but I haven't. And there's others that you're like, hey, man, I don't even know what this is about. I came today and I'm checking this out. I just want to say, your intro to Jesus is not about this step. Your intro to Jesus is simply coming with your heart, saying, I want to turn and follow you. But there is a point in time where you begin to grow in the kingdom of God. And you get to choose whether you're going to be one of those ones on the boat with the straw and the fancy umbrella, sipping your iced tea. Or you get to actually pick up an oar in that boat with Jesus. I will tell you one thing. When you grab an oar in the boat with Jesus, 
you begin to experience the kingdom of God in a whole new dimension. And we're going to see why here in a minute. But there's a whole different to be a spectator or to be a participator in the kingdom of God. And this is a key component. Well, Israel knew this. Believers knew this. And they, for some reason, said, I'm going to stop doing that. And they decided to not do this. And God used some, he was upset with them, quite frankly. And he used some pretty provocative language. It's pretty strong language. He was very direct with them. And I want to look at this passage in Malachi chapter 3. This is in your bulletin as well. And this is, this is the way God is speaking to them. And this, these are people who knew better. And this is what it says. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, again, the Israelites know it all belongs to God. God knows it all belongs to him. And it even says in Deuteronomy, which they knew about, Deuteronomy 16, 17, each of you must bring a gift in proportion with the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So when they received, they started going, you know what? We're just not giving back. And God's like, you guys know better than that. And they're like, yeah, but we're not. And God apparently, he put up with it for a while. And finally, he's starting to talk really matter of fact with them very boldly and using this term saying, since it's all mine and I give to you and you don't give back, God says four times in this passage, the word rob. Now that's a pretty big word to say rob. And and I'm not saying it, God is saying it. God is saying when people take from the kingdom of God, freely you've been given, and when you know the, the world is the Lord's and everything in it, and when God freely gives, that when we don't give back, God is using this term called rob. And I think that's a very strong word, and I think this is a lot pivoting on your understanding of this. If it really is the Lord's, belongs to him, and we take something that belongs to him, God can call it robbing, right? God can call it robbing because it belongs... But if it doesn't belong to the Lord, if it really belongs to us, God would not call it robbing. Does that make sense? Uh, God is saying it belongs to him. He says we rob him in the tithes and offerings. Now, moving on, uh, verse 10, it says this. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So to break this down, because there's a few things going on right here, he's like, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Tithe, by definition, some of you know the term well, others may not really know. Tithe means 10%. That's what the word means. Tithe means 10th. And he's saying, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. To break this down, any giving to the work of God is good. That's good. But when people were bringing two or three or four and saying they were tithing, God's like, no, that's not tithing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So it wasn't 4% or 8%. And I want to be a little practical right here. What is the Bible talking about of tithing? Of what? Giving what of what? Because people ask this question. They're like, well, is it it this or is it that? In the Bible, it was back in farm days, and it was based on either your animals or your crops, really. Uh, Today, the translation is any increase that the Lord gives you or gives me. Uh, We tithe on. Uh, For example, if you get a paycheck, tithe on your paycheck. If you get this and then you get a commission check later, you tithe on that. Um, If you buy and sell stocks, for example, and that's your increase, whatever the increase is, wherever it comes from, that is what it is. Um, If you get an unemployment check, that's okay. 
that is whatever comes into your storehouse that we give to the Lord. This is what he's talking about. Uh, if you get even an inheritance, I remember about six years ago, my father passed away. I got a smaller inheritance, but I'm like, hey, it's anything the Lord brings in. If I get a tax return at the end of the year, I, anything the Lord, you buy a car for 2000 and sell it for $4,000. There, there's the increase. Whatever the increase is, the biblical premise is God wants to bless you. He wants to give you things, but if we can't understand a healthy biblical understanding of finance, and I will say this, we're going to look at some stories in a few minutes of some people who have some profound testimonies regarding tithing. If you can't tithe on $100, you will never tithe on $1,000. If you can't tithe on $1,000, you will never tithe on $10,000. If you can't tithe on $10,000, you will never tithe on $100,000. Because if we can't trust God in baby steps, we can't trust him in greater steps. So many say, oh, well, yeah, well, I'm just having a hard time getting by. But, you know, if I was a millionaire, huh, oh, yeah, I totally would. No, you wouldn't. Because Solomon says, the greater our increase becomes, the greater our appetite grows along with it. Do you know that? The more we increase, our appetite grows. So guess what? We have more, but we want more. There's a famous millionaire many years ago. They asked How much is enough? Can you tell me just how much is enough? Because the guy was a multimillionaire. He goes, just a little more. Because that's what happens when our income grows, our appetite grows along with it, Solomon says. And so we never really get satisfied with appetites. And the sooner you come to terms with that in life, the sooner it is to understand God's kingdom and these principles. But some people think, no, someday, somehow, I'm going to be happy when I attain this. And they're chasing it their whole life. And they never really find it. And it's really a bummer when that happens. But I would suggest to you that um, this concept, this principle is so real that when you begin to hold on to it in your life and live it out, you're going to see the kingdom of God in a whole new dimension. Um, The Israelites knew this. They were receiving but not giving back. Regarding the tithe, this is one thing I'd say about the tithe. If God owns it all, this is something I looked at about 20 years ago when it was presented to me and I thought, You know, that makes a lot of sense, and it helped me get my hands around this. It helped me get my heart around this. If it all belongs to the Lord, then God wants me to live on 90% and give back 10%. And when you look at it like that, saying it's all yours, but you're you're asking me to live on 90%, it does change the way you look at things. It does change the paradigm. And I would suggest that if God is setting it up this way, that we really need to learn to live on the rest. That's the biblical premise. Now, doing this or not doing this is not getting anyone to heaven. I want to just be clear on that. Heaven is a free gift of grace. It is free. Can't earn, can't buy, don't deserve, free, okay? Eternity is a free gift. But I want to qualify something. The blessings of God, everyone say the blessings of God. All through the Bible, God says, I put before you blessings and curses, life and death choose life. There are steps of obedience that God will bless. There are steps of not obedience that God's like, I'm sorry, I cannot bless you. This is a reality. We may have eternity through Jesus and the price he paid, hallelujah, but the journey along the way can be filled with either blessings or lack thereof, and it has to do with our obedience in in these areas. Right here is one of them. These are one of the areas, and again, the people who get a healthy understanding of money and finances in the kingdom of God, they like get this like, yeah, no kidding. And they didn't 
begin to get this because they became a millionaire. Uh, I'm going to share some stories in a minute where people began on their first dollar when they were young to realize, hey, if this all belongs to the Lord, let me keep 90% and give God 10. And they learn, and God's like, I like what I see, and you seem to get it. And since you seem to get it, I can entrust you with more because you can be resourceful with my things, the Lord would say. And so some people get this quite well and pretty amazing understanding of this stuff. By the way, it says when you give to give the first fruits. When you look through the Bible at the concept of giving, it's called first fruits. This is important, first fruits. Why do I say that? Because what some people make the mistake of doing, instead of seeking God first, we end up seeking God last. This is how we get selective sometimes. We all can do this. And what we can do with our giving in this aspect of our love life with God, we can go, you know what? Hold on, God. I want to see how I do at the end of the month. And let me see what I got left over. I mean, I got to pay this. I got to pay that. I'm thinking about buying this one thing I really kind of wanted. I've been waiting to get it. And I want to upgrade this. So why don't you hang out right there? Let me see how I do at the end. Let me see if I have any last fruits left over for you. Okay? And if I got anything left over, I'll get back with you. I'm telling you, that is not blessable. That is a last fruit, not a first fruit. A first fruit, by definition, is to put God first. Now, the way we do that, back in the farm days, when you harvest your crop, the first thing you do is take the 10% of the grain or the crop or the animals. This is the principle. Nowadays, how do we operate? Well, nowadays, we're pretty much wireless. Everyone's you know, doing their banking on their cell phone practically. In fact, on that question, how many of you guys, uh, just out of, like a survey, I was wondering, how many of you guys do not use any kind of online banking debit card, credit card? Do not. None of it, Okay. A few. How many of you guys do use online banking credit card? Okay. Uh, the trend is going that way. We've been doing that for years. But this is what Christy and I decided to do. Um, I, I've been giving to the Lord faithfully for over 20 years. We've been married for 13. Christy and I, she was doing this before we got married. We understood this together. And in our marriage, we, we still function this way. What we've decided to do as a first fruit, uh, to keep a first fruit a first fruit, what we chose to do is on our online checking our online bill pay, whatever it is. The number one bill on our list is the kingdom of God, the number one. And we write a check to the ministry. This is the storehouse for us. There are other ministries that we also give offerings to, orphans, other things that we do. But our tithe is to the storehouse, which we're going to see by definition is the place where people are fed and grow in the Lord. So our very first check before we spend a dime, we don't pay a mortgage, we don't pay a rent, we don't pay our first one is this. You know what I love about that? I can sleep at night knowing my first fruit is a first fruit. I don't ever think of what's left over because it doesn't matter. I also know that when a first fruit is a first fruit, God blesses the rest. Now think of this. Would you rather have no blessing on 100% or God's blessing on 90%? Now do the math on that for a second. And when you do, do it through the eyes of the kingdom of God. If you have God's blessing on the 90%, that is going to not only satisfy you way more, it's going to go way further. That's simply the way it works. Or we can go, nope, sorry, it's mine. And God will say like in this passage, that's okay. You still have heaven. I still love you. But until you learn to consecrate things and take a tight fist off of everything I've given you, I'm sorry, I just can't bless you in that area. And some people, what's sad about this to me is they can go through their whole life with, with tight fists and not ever 
learning this lesson, and yet some kids learn this lesson at 10 years old. My kids are learning this. They get an allowance, you know? We give the kids an opportunity to tithe in the children's ministry to get well water for, for missions, and it's kind of cool. They're all learning. Kids, are, if they want, they bring their tithe. No one's forced to do it. This is not like a rule. You must. We don't mandate anything like that. It's just an encouragement of the heart to grow in the kingdom of God, grow in his knowledge, grow in his power, grow in your experience of the kingdom of God. This is a key component. And yet some will say, I'm not going to do it. And you wonder why that 100% that you have doesn't satisfy and it never ends. The reason why is because you need God's blessing on the 90%. That's really what you need. And I would say, I was talking to someone about this and we were talking about tithing and why people don't. Um, my friend said to me, there's probably only two reasons why people don't tithe. They either don't trust God about this because it's all about trust, or they simply don't trust the ministry that they're in. And I'm thinking that's a valid concern. Um, This church, we are faithful with all God's resources and we're committed to it. In fact, we tremble over the expenditure of God's resources because they're his, they're not ours. Nothing that is given here is given to us, is given to the kingdom of God. And so we get to be stewards of that. And so... The reality is people either have a trust issue or maybe it's a selfish issue, but I want to encourage you that if you are willing to trust God in this area, you will be so grateful and so blessed. So on the first fruits thing, I want to challenge you this. I want to challenge you to do something. This is a bold statement. If you are willing to begin to trust God in your life, do what Christy and I do and automate your first fruit. Pray over it still. Don't just like whatever. God, thank you for everything you've given me. I want to give back a first fruit to you, and I don't want it to be a last fruit, and I don't want it to be a partial thing. I want to bring the whole tithe into your storehouse, and so that's what we do. We automate our, it's done, and it feels very liberating. And then beyond that, we're able to look at some offering opportunities, some orphans and things like that. It's very satisfying to know, and I can tell you, There have been up seasons and there have been down seasons, and this is a tough economy right now for everyone, us included. We have to stretch things and budget and cut things out. We have never been in need. There are things we might want, but there is nothing we need. God told the Philippian church who also had this down. They understood this quite well. They provided for ministry. And you know what Paul told them? God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. God did not say that to another church. Uh, in the Bible, who was not supporting the ministry. He said it to the Philippian church because they understood the kingdom of God and giving back to the Lord to do the work of the ministry, to be a life-giving people and a life-giving church. And Paul says, because you guys get it, God's going to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. So the third step this morning is, is uh, on that note of first fruits, is God expects my first fruits, not my last fruits. Again, that's something you can think about, pray about, uh, but I do want to challenge you, if you want to seriously give God your first fruits, if you want to follow through on that, you may think of doing what Christy and I have done and automated. We've done this for years. We never think about it. We never look back. We just don't do that. And so it's it's liberating. Um, So before spending, we need to honor God and give him his part first. Where does it go? We said the storehouse is historically the, the house of God. It's God's house. And why? And God says, so that there may be food in my house. Now, here's the premise. God expects the temple, the church, to be a life-giving place. That's what he expects. God expects the church to give life. I came that you might have life and give it, have it abundantly. 
The church is supposed to be a life-giving church. Whenever a church is focused inward and not given life, they're completely missing the mission. A church's mission is to be a city on a hill for a city and supposed to give life in multiple facets, not just the gospel, but tangible needs and do a bunch of things. And that's why God says, would you bring it into the storehouse so that there will be food in my house so my house can give life? Does that make sense? That's the premise, so the church can give life. And so um, that's what we wanted to be, a life-robbing church. And it says, if not, we're robbing God. And God says, if you do, listen, this is the harsh part. God says, I will withhold blessings. Uh, Some people don't understand why blessings are being withheld. And God's like, well, I'm telling you why. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you why. In the financial part, if you understand me first, I can bless. But if you don't, don't expect blessing in that area. This is what God would tell the Israelites. I believe he would tell us as well. Still loves you. But you know he says he disciplines those he loves? How many of you know that? He loves you. But that doesn't mean we don't get disciplined. That doesn't mean we get every blessing under the, under the sun. There are certain things that he blesses as an act of obedience and other things that he can't. And so, by the way, some have brought up the, uh, the really sad argument going, well, yeah, tithing, isn't that like an Old Testament thing only? Uh, I don't know what Bible they're reading, but they're not reading a, an accurate one. Listen to this. Um, before Moses even made up the law, the law of Moses, 400 years earlier, Abraham came. Abraham wasn't under the law. There was no law. Abraham was tithing back 400 years before the law. So there's tithing before the law. There's tithing under the law. And then Jesus the Christ, the resurrected one, actually said we should tithe. New Testament, uh, Matthew 23, 23. He says you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. He was talking to Pharisees who said we tithe, but they didn't have any justice or mercy. And Jesus was saying, yes, you're supposed to tithe. Continue to do it, but don't lack having justice and mercy. So Jesus said to do it. He also says to us, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, but render to God what's God's. We pay taxes, we do those things, and that's what we're supposed to do. Jesus said that. But also render to God what's God's. This principle goes throughout. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 16.2, this is Paul saying, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. People each week were setting aside their tithe. This is New Testament church. And so, guys, it's a biblical principle. It's reaping and sowing. God blesses obedience. And I would say this, in this economy right now, the best economists on the planet do not understand our economy. Do you realize that? The best economists on the planet are in a quandary about the global economy. Some think, well, maybe this, maybe that, maybe inflation, maybe deflation, maybe this. They're, they're all over the map. It's not so important that you and I understand the natural economy. I hope we do, but a lot of people are guessing on that, a lot of experts. You know what is important? It's important that you and I understand God's economy. Because when we understand God's economy, that's where we're going to be held accountable to, and that's where the blessing is. There's a natural economy, and there's God's economy. And the experts are waffling in, in the global economy. They're great experts. They're brilliant. And they're still all over the map with their opinions. But in God's economy, you don't have to guess. He tells, he lays it out. He lays out practical aspects. So it's much more important that we do that. Um, there's a guy named L.G. Letourneau. This guy was a Christian who began to 
give at a very young age and understood this. He was an inventor of most of the heavy earth-moving equipment machinery in the world today. And he often said this, it's not how much money I give to God, but how much of God's money I keep for myself. This is this guy, multi, multi, multi-millionaire success. He's like, it's not what I give God, it's how much I keep. In other words, it's all his, so what part of it am I going to keep? This is his understanding. He also went on to say that his inventions, listen to this, his inventions were actually revelations given to him by the Holy Spirit. In his own biography, he would tell you that God Almighty, because he was faithful, gave him perspective and ideas that no one else had. Today, the stuff's being used around the globe, everywhere from Russia, China, Africa. It's the, he, he invented the stuff. No one else wrote these ideas down or patented them. It was a guy who understood a healthy understanding of God's economy, and God's like, you know what? I could really bless you because you have a healthy understanding. The same story is true for the founders of Holiday Inn, Quaker Oats, Procter & Gamble, Colgate, Ivory Soap, and Welch's Grape Juice. You can Google the foundings of those companies. These were people from the very beginning. They didn't say, well, God, if you do this, then I will do that. They're people that said, God, I'm already doing it because this is the way your economy works. And God said, you know what? <laughs> I can really bless that because you have a healthy understanding of the kingdom of God. Last story I want to share with you is John D. Rockefeller. He was the first billionaire on planet Earth. The very first person to reach the status of billionaire. At the age of 23, he became a millionaire. And by the age of 50, a billionaire. Every decision, attitude, and relationship was tailored to create his personal power and wealth. But three years later, at the age of 53, he became ill. His entire body became racked with pain, and he lost all hair on his head. In complete agony, the world's only billionaire could buy anything he wanted, but he could only digest Milk and crackers. An associate said he could not sleep, would not smile, and nothing in life meant anything to him. His personal, highly skilled physicians predicted that he would die within one year. That year passed agonizingly slow, and as he approached death, he awoke one morning with a vague remembrance of a dream. He could barely recall the dream, but he knew it had something to do with not being able to take any of his successes with him into the next world. The man who could control the business world suddenly realized he was not only not in control of his own life, but he was left with a choice. And then a transformation occurred. He determined to become a giver rather than an accumulator. That moment, he began to give back a portion of all that he had earned, and his body chemistry was altered so significantly that he got better. It looked as if he would die at 53, but he lived to be 98. Rockefeller learned gratitude and gave back from his wealth. Doing so made him whole. It is one thing to be healed. It's another thing to be made whole. I would suggest that's the case in our lives too. There's a part of being whole in God's economy that some are like, yeah, I'm not hearing it. I don't want to hear it. And other God's like, that's okay. That is okay. I can't bless you in many areas. I love you. I just can't. And others are going, what else can I do, Lord? It's all yours anyway. And I want to be a faithful steward of everything that's yours. God's like, now that, my son, my daughter, I can bless and I will bless. And to me, it's profound. One of the things on the prayer chain, on the prayer list we have here in the prayer ministry, and this was just circulated with our prayer team last week, is for financial freedom. 
for our church members, financial freedom for the people of God, helping people see the benefits that God provides when you are faithful stewards with what he has provided us with. We are praying that for you, for every one of you. We're praying that for, we have friends, we have so many people that are in bad places financially, but I will tell you this is a key component to victory and getting over the hill is doing it God's way. Don't do this in your strength anymore. Don't resort to God when you think of salvation and then when it comes to other things, break out the 10 key calculator and control it in your own economy. Look at it through the eyes of God's economy. Look at it through the eyes that he's all-knowing, all-powerful. He knows what you have and what you don't. He knows before we ask. And I would just encourage you guys to, to do this. He says, test me. He not only says, trust me. He says, test me. He doesn't say, test me throughout the Bible. In fact, when I look at it, I don't see him saying, test me anywhere in the Bible. He doesn't say, test me on salvation. He doesn't say, test me on this or that. But when it comes to trusting him, with giving back and learning to live on 90%, giving to the kingdom of God so there's food in his storehouse, so the work of the ministry is met. When it comes to that, he's like, what is it going to take for people to understand this? It's so important. He says, test me. And I've been testing him for 22 years now, and I have proven every single year that this is true. Many of you share the same story. You're like, yeah, duh, (laughs) no kidding. You know what I'm talking about. But yet there's others that may have put your feet in the water wandering, and there's others that have never even stepped up to the water going, I don't trust it. I really don't. I would really encourage you to take the words of the Lord literal where he says, test me at this. There are some blessings God has in store, but unfortunately in this life, some people will never know what they missed out on. Uh, If God's withholding blessings, I want to get in on every blessing he has. I trust you do too. That's why we're here today. We don't want to get to the end and find out, oh, we missed out on blessings because we weren't obedient or faithful or trusting in an area. So I want to close in prayer right now. I want to pray that we be more trustful with the living God in our life in all areas. I also want to pray if, you've, if any here today, just uh, let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If any are here today and just go, you know what? I'm just even learning about God and the kingdom. Um, I just want to encourage you, the, the way it all begins, and if there's only one thing you know, Know that Jesus loves you more than you will ever know. Know that you were not made to exist. You were made to live. You weren't made to just get along or get by. You were made to live the abundant life in the power and the will of the living God. And life begins by saying yes to Jesus. And life begins with opening the door of our heart and saying, God, I might not have it all down. And I'm not a perfect person. No one else is either. But I do want to turn. I do want to follow you. I do want to let you into my life and I want to begin to trust you and walk with you. I believe you died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe you rose from the dead. Again, I don't have it down. I want to follow you. And as everyone has their heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to agree with anyone. Is that your prayer this morning? Would you just look up if that's anyone's prayer this morning? Where you want to, amen, the Lord sees you. Anybody else? Would you look up? The Lord, the Lord sees you. Anybody else who says, I need to begin to trust him? Amen. Anybody else this morning? Hallelujah. Anybody else? Yeah. The Lord wants to begin a new thing, and it's going to begin with trust. It's going to be trusting in the word of God and the spirit of God. And we'll begin to trust him based on his word and his spirit. A whole profound chapter of life opens up. So, Lord, for those who are saying yes to new beginnings, I pray you would just seal that in their heart. Right now, your word says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father and angels in heaven. And I just thank you. 
for, for what you're about to do and seal some new dimensions in the hearts of those who, who want a fresh start with you. And Lord, for others, maybe they're learning trust in other areas of their life and they're working this out and, and they're not ready to trust you. I pray you would remind them that they can test you. They can test you and you're saying, come on, test me. I'm ready when you are. And Lord, for others, um, Lord, there's some that have been in the faith a long time and they know this. And this is an area really not so much of trust as it is obedience. Because others like, they know about this and they know what you say. And Lord, it's a struggle a lot of people have. A lot of us have a struggle when it comes to this area. It's very close to our heart. And I would just pray that there'd be a new glorious freedom that we would just, uh, you love a cheerful giver, that we wouldn't give out a compulsion, we wouldn't give out of any kind of guilt or any of those things, that's not from you, but we would give out of obedience and out of joy and out of gratitude. And Lord, I want to pray for those in this room that begin to embrace the kingdom of God fully, even in this area. I want to pray for a blessing on their life that you said you would do. You said you would open the floodgates of heaven and you would pour out blessing. I pray just like the story that we've read of people who were successful in profound ways that you gave brilliant ideas to. You gave them ideas that the people around them didn't have. And I think you did it, Lord God, because they were faithful. Would you begin to pour out your grace on the faithful ones? Would they see even more and more increase in various areas of their life, not only finance, but other areas that they would say, the living God is pouring out blessing in my life. Let me tell you, all I'm doing is being faithful with what's his anyway, and he is turning around and blessing me. I pray it would get contagious, and I pray that this church and the churches through the city and the missions and the ministries around the globe, that we would be a life-giving people, a life-giving church, and that you would get all the glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.